welcome to 2018, or 2018 if you'd prefer it that way, or 18 years after 2000. Uh, Merry New Year to one and all, as they say in the movie Trading Places. I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy, the traffic anchor here at Denver 7 News, and co-host of this, the Driving You Crazy podcast. You fit a lot of words into one breath, man. I'm, po- I'm pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. <laughs> happy 2018. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. How was your time off? You took an adventure to the East Coast that is freezing right now under blizzards and, and icicles everywhere all the way along the East Coast. So in, for those of you listening, uh, 20 degrees below zero Fahrenheit is very cold. And that's what it was when I was in Vermont. But it's beautiful. It's the prettiest state in the country, by far. Even when it's frozen? Even better when it's frozen. It's like, it's tundra, man. I understand why people take uh, overseas trips to like Norway and Finland and those countries that are further up that are all iced over because it's just beautiful in the wintertime. So do you have any uh, driving adventures, any um, road adventures you'd like to expound on? Look, so number one, if you ever drive Interstate 91 through the state of Vermont, you, you, you're lucky to see 10 cars over 200 miles. This is the emptiest interstate in America. It would make sense for them to wipe it out entirely and just start it at the southern part of Vermont. Um, but it's beautiful, man. I mean, it's just a nice drive through the mountains, and you don't get many of those where you're not elbow to elbow with other cars. That's the problem with I-70 in Colorado. Well, those are different kind of mountains than here. I would say those are more rolling hills. Well, I agree with you. What I would say is like the elevation from base to t- top of the mountain, like the difference between the two in Vermont is not similar, but at least in the ballpark is the mountains in Colorado. Obviously, nothing compares to the Colorado mountains, but there's not a highway that matches Interstate 91 for sheer emptiness and magnificence. Well, that's good. I uh, just enjoyed time off with the girls, play a lot of... They have this new game. I don't know what's it called. It's something you 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 give clues. The girls love these uh, new Disney games. It's all Disney stuff around the house, right? Okay. And so I spent a lot. We spent a lot of time because the girls are off that last week, this week. Uh, so that was fun. I really did absolutely nothing during my time off except hang out with my girls, and that was it. Before we get into the traffic headlines, do you have a Logan Paul take? Are your girls Logan Paul fans? Uh, no, that they don't really watch a whole lot of YouTube. Good. Um, they're really off. The grid and and when they search things on they they I don't even let them really search anything on Google. They have something called Kittle, that is a kid safe Google search basically. So you could search whatever you want in Kittle, and it's only going to give you the really the safest searches and that sort. Of, and they are okay. only going on Disney Junior or PBS Kids, and they're they're watching that kind of stuff. So they're not on the YouTube. But th- the guy should have had more sense when he's walking in a forest. That is called the suicide forest, right? Right. Or a forest of death or whatever that's called. Mm -hmm. He's going with the expectation already ahead of time of seeing something that he saw. Yes. He's al- that's already a predetermined thought in his mind that it, it's probably going to happen, and, he, and he's probably hoping it's going to happen. So it happens. It, there's a person who's dead in front of him, and he's recording all of this. Yes. Now, they weren't broadcasting live at the time. Then there was the thought of, well, we are going to then be acting the way we act usually around a dead person. He probably hasn't seen a whole lot of dead people. That's why it was intriguing for him to go see this and go do this. And he also then was uh, took the time later to then either edit or, or at least do some post-production and then post that video. Right. So there was a lot of times he could have stopped. At any time, he could have stopped 
doing his little acting move. He could have stopped the recordings. He could have not posted the video, redone the whole thing in a different way. I think what it speaks to is that there are like no boundaries with this age group right. and this sort of culture. And I don't know really where the starting point and the ending point is. I think it's more of a millennial mindset than it is a specific millennial age group. But they've seen so much and they're exposed to so many images so early on. I mean, so yeah. early on. I, I, I was on AOL at eight years old looking at a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have as I got older. And so when you're exposed to that much stuff, I think it warps your sense of what you should and shouldn't be doing and what is and is not acceptable. Well, with sites like LiveLeak and, well, before LiveLeak, there was a site called Ogrish.com that was that was even worse than what LiveLeak will show. Um, and, and But that stuff is out there. And so, the, like you said, some of these people have grown up with it and, and they want to see it. I, I, I don't know... I think it's a good teaching moment for him, and it will be a good lesson for him. I doubt it was going to hurt him long-term with his fans, that he's still going to have fans. He's still going to generate a lot of income. It might hurt him with some advertisers, that sort of thing. He'll apologize like he already has, and and they'll be forgiven, and he'll go on. It gives him a level of credibility with those fans because they've now seen him make a significant mistake, and now they're going to watch him attempt to and most likely recover from it. Well, that's one of the reasons I try to keep my girls who are 6 and 9 off that stuff of the internet. There'll be plenty of time for them to see it. I just don't want I just want them to be a kid while they're still a kid. Absolutely. I think you know one of the things we're really going to talk about as the year goes on is the plan to spend lots and lots of money on infrastructure. We've heard a little bit about it as the government is now talking about the spending bills that have to go through. They're going to shut down the government, that whole thing, by January 19th. Right. And I think as part of these negotiations, we're going to see a lot of talk about infrastructure. And I can't predict how it's going to play out in Congress, because if I could, then I'd be a million-dollar man, and and I could predict everything in the world. Um, But I can't do that. Um, but it's going to be welcome news if it happens to not only our state, but all the states around the country that are struggling to keep up with transportation funding, especially here. Um, it's also going to be interesting to see how the transportation is going to be addressed in the Colorado state legislature this year. My gut tells me they're going to leave us frustrated again, as they did last year and the year before that and the year before that. And I have a feeling it's all part of the reason that the former executive director of CDOT, he left to take a job with this uh, transportation think tank. I think he was just frustrated with the status quo and and seeing that there really isn't much of a future here in a state that he thinks isn't serious about collecting more tax revenue or other revenue and putting it into transportation. And there's only so much you could say, and that was his mantra for the time he was here, is that the state doesn't have any money, the state doesn't have any money, and, and guess what? We, can't, we, we don't have any money. The state doesn't have any money, so we can't build anything and fix anything and everything, that all the money that we have is just going for current maintenance right now. So we, you want us to fix things and build things, but we can't because we don't have any money. He's got a point. Yeah, he does. And I think he was just sick of talking about it. Yes. Um, Absolutely, so, because that is the debate surrounding not just our state, but our country. Is like we want to do a lot of really big things, but we don't have the money right now, and so other countries are lapping us. And he's a big vision guy. Uh, he he wants he he's looking for transportation to really uh, be a big focus of the state, and and it wasn't for him. And he likes a lot of uh, technology to be included in transportation stuff, and and it just wasn't going the way he wanted. Uh, he really I don't think was getting any love back from the state, and that's why he mm-hmm. said, "All right, see, I'll I'll go ahead and go get paid." 
uh, from this <laughs> think tank. I mean, not that he wasn't making any money. He was making some decent money, but now he's really getting paid. I mean, you jump from public to private, and those that money just starts rolling on in. So we'll see how all that plays out. Well, I would think it would be a slam dunk, but at the same time with the current political climate, you can't count on anything making sense. No, that pretty much that's right. And you know the Federal Highway Administration, speaking of not making any sense, uh, they actually have a release, press release that they sent me that said there's a record number of licensed drivers in America now. They say there are 221.7 million licensed drivers in the United States, including over 40 million or almost one in five who are older than 65 years old. I thought that was pretty interesting. That's fascinating. The largest single-year percentage increase in licensed driver in 2016 was, get this, among 75 to 79-year-olds. The second fastest growing group of drivers are people over 85. It must be all about people living longer, right? It must be all about, I guess, better health care and, and uh, better nutrition and, and just people living longer. Right. I mean, it's just a change in the way in humans conduct their business. Uh, but those people need to be tested every year for new licenses. Yeah, pro- every oh, yeah. single year. Yes. And, and the older you get, the more you need to be tested. I mean, the eyesight goes very quickly. It, it's a, it can be really dangerous, and it's something that people are going to have to keep an eye on moving forward. And listen up, millennial. <laughs> uh, you you people between the ages of twenty and thirty four accounted for nearly one in four U.S. drivers, about fifty seven million. Teen drivers continue to increase slightly. It's up to eight point eight million. But remaining at the uh, lowest level since the federal government began compiling driver's license data in 1963. I mean, there's less reason for people that age to drive than ever before between the, how easy it is to get around via bicycle in most major cities and the amount of ride-sharing options that are available as well. There are 2.5 more women drivers than men drivers. I think that explains the accident rates. But um. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to go out there and say that to any woman in the newsroom right now. Go ahead and just just say that. No? Don't do it, man. You're not going to do it? Not going to do it. You're not going to go see what happens? Not going to do it. Well, I thought it was pretty interesting. All of it was pretty interesting. Uh, We get letters and emails all the time, by the way, Joseph, right here to the newsroom. Yes, we do. And usually what they want is they want to get us, the TV station, to get them out of a jam or other predicament they can't fix themselves. You've seen it before. It's They're always complaining about something. So Mark Stewart, one of our evening reporters, he received an email the other day from a guy who wanted him to take on the toll highway E-470. So I want you to decide if this is a legitimate complaint or something that we should file in the round cabinet that leads directly to the dumpster. All right. You ready for this? Let's go. Okay. So here's the email. A couple of months ago, my wife decided to be responsible and pay off our E-470 license plate toll bill. Wait a minute. I have to stop right there. My wife decided to be responsible. Decided? I kind of thought that's what adults do. Right? <laughs> I mean. It, it, I mean, it's, it isn't fun to be responsible. I don't like being responsible. Mm. I didn't, I, I don't want, but it's something we all have to do if we want to be a part of a civil society. I will say I do understand the impulse to just throw those toll bills into like a, ca- a drawer somewhere and forget about them until your car gets booted. Anyway, be responsible, people. Okay, the email continues. We try not to ever use E470 since the tolls are ridiculous. Our total bill after combining both cars was small, as far as most people are concerned, around $90. All right, I have to stop again. We're, we're $90? When you go through the toll plaza on E-470, any of them, 
The charge for that, on average, costs about 4 bucks with the license plate tolling. About $4. It's less with the transponder. About half price. That means they would have to have passed through about 20 toll plazas to get up to $90 in tolls. 20 plazas. I would not say that is not trying to, not ever using E-470 since the tolls are ridiculous. Correct. It's no secret what the tolls are when you get on the road. And there are free roads right next to E-470 to use as an alternative. So there is no excuse not to know how much it costs and also to know that, that you're responsible for paying these tolls. Well, and also that you could have saved 45 bucks by just getting the transponder, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Come on, bro. Which they'll give it to you for free. We continue with the email from this viewer to our Channel 7 newsroom. $90 is not much to most people, but too much for us to easily pay out. My wife gets paid weekly, so she started paying something every week, 10 to $15. She felt good. She was making the bill go down and still feeding the kids. I feel bad for this family. Obviously, they appear not to have much money to pay tolls. So why do they ever choose to drive on the toll road? If it's between feeding your kids and driving on the toll road, feed the kids. Stay on the free roads. Yes. The email continues. After a little bit, she was down to $13.02 and looking forward to paying off the bill. So here comes this month's bill and in the mail. And guess what? There's a new charge, a $25 civil penalty, perfectly timed to add another one or two of her normal consistent payments. Assuming that this might be potentially affected by common sense and or logic, she called to make a payment, hoping that her recent payment history might have some impact. If so, she was perfectly ready to send the payment amount in and clear the account. Why doesn't this broke jerk pay off his wife's toll bill? Like an adult. Yeah, I, 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 that was another question I had as well. Like, why is she, I, I'm sorry, why is she making $15 weekly payments? Like, just save it up, man. Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand this at all. It continues. After a 10-minute or so period of your call is important, she finally reached a human. Naturally, there was nothing that she could do, so my wife asked for a supervisor. The supervisor not only proved to be unable to provide any help, she informed my wife that another civil penalty would be applied if the bill was not paid in full by the due date on the bill two days from now. Two days from now? That means it's been sitting in her mailbox or in her kitchen for a while. She also stated that another civil penalty would be added every month from now on until paid in full. My wife was totally upset and said she would call back and hung up. She went back to the bill and, reading carefully, found a dispute process concerning the civil penalty. She has started doing the things required for this. I'll keep you informed about this as developments occur. Look, this is standard practice for E-470. They send out bills, and if they're not paid, they'll send warnings that a civil penalty will be assessed. And if the bill is not paid in full, they'll give you that civil penalty. Right. They're a business. Last time I heard, they were a business. They're not in the business of lending drivers money after that driver uses its services. Would the same couple expect to be able to pay off their food bill at McDonald's over several weeks? How about about when they go to the grocery store? If they roll out of King Supers with a cart full of food, would they expect that they could just take the food home and then send King Supers weekly checks of $10 to $15 for that food? I doubt it. So why do they think they can do that with E-470? 
It's a service. They use the road, so they should pay the bill. All right, the email continues. As for me, I'm a bit more than uh, just upset. If we hadn't decided to pay this bill, it would have simply been added onto her next plate renewal. Her desire to pay it sooner than that has resulted in her being penalized. Again, this is a bill that has to be paid for service provided. Why, why do they think that they're not obligated to pay this bill? I just don't get that. I, I'm disgusted. The, this, this entire situation is just disgusting to me. And why would you reach out to the news thinking that the news is going to defend you against your own irresponsibility? Exactly. So it continues. I think it's time for me, at least, to find out how common this problem is. My best choice of how to do this is social media. After work tonight, I'll get a page up on Facebook and start advertising, asking the question, do you feel that E-470 bills unethically? And have you had issues in your billing from E-470? I can't wait to see the responses. I looked for such a Facebook page. I I didn't find one. I also looked for this person's Facebook page. I think it was him, and I didn't see any mention of E-470 on it. Um, but I did see a lot of those, uh, we just played, you know, I just played that whatever slot machine thing and won this much money or whatever the thing. You know, those games, those I stupid know games yep. on Facebook page. Facebook right? slots. Yeah. This is where the email gets really, really good. I intend to forward all input daily to all Colorado State House and Senate members. CDOT, the Governor's Office, the Denver Post, and all Denver TV channels, as well as Denver AM Talk Radio. I will also provide results to any and all interested parties that might request them. I can easily see this including economic development councils, city councils, the Better Business Bureau, and individual companies, especially those that are considering moving to or expanding to Denver Amazon. What is that going to accomplish? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Sir, what do you think that's going to accomplish? Oh, Proof my. that you use somebody else's services and then don't want to pay for it? Come on. Honestly? Man. If he had spent the amount of time writing this email, driving for Lyft or Uber, he would have paid off the E-470 toll and we wouldn't be having this conversation. So he concludes the email by saying, I would love to hear from you or another Channel 7 person that might be a better fit Thank you for looking at this, and I hope to hear from someone soon. Thank you for your time, Donnie Hearn. Well, Donnie, my suggestion to you is that you should never drive on E-470 again (laughs) unless you have the money to pay your toll bill or can lend it to your wife. Why isn't he paying it for his wife? Or Maybe they have separate accounts. I don't know how they work this out. If you never drive on the road, you will never have a bill. It works as simply as that. If you're so tempted by the toll road that you just must drive on it, then I would suggest getting a transponder from E470. It won't cost you anything. You just stick it right there on your window. You have to give them $35 as a deposit, and then they take the tolls from that. You can, when you can cut those tolls in half as well. You could get $70 worth of tolls for the $35 that you would give them for that transponder. Getting upset and threatening to share negative feedback with all the folks he mentioned isn't going to do anything. I have an idea. Don't drive on the road. And and if you do, expect to pay the bill on time, just like when you go anywhere and buy something else. And work more, bro. 
Like if you're, because this is definitely the kind of guy who's also like racking up credit card bills and not really thinking too much about it and blaming his wife for everything. Go get a better paying job so you can afford to do things like drive on the nice road. Yes, that that, that I was really mean. I'm sorry. There, <laughs> well, there was a time in my life that I was working three jobs because I wanted to earn more money and I wanted to save up some of that money for things I wanted. Yep. And I also was working at certain some of these places. One of them was in uh, in the industry, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't a full-time job, it was a part-time job, so it wasn't paying enough money for me to live, so I had to have some other jobs, but it was allowing me to be in at least my foot was in as I was trying to work my way into the industry. Th- it, that's the way that's if you want to advance, that's what you do. Yes. As a Productive member of society. 100%. Agree. All right, coming up, Joseph. Did you ever see the movie iRobot? Of course you didn't. I'll answer that for you right now. Am I right? Did you see the movie iRobot? No, of course you're shaking your head no. Of course you... Why would you? As part of that movie, the robot makes a choice to save one person over another based on the probability of survival. It's actually a pretty good movie. Will Smith is in it. Put it on the list. What if your self-driving car, though had to make a similar choice. We'll explore that and so much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. You're listening to Driving You Crazy with your host, Jason Luber. Well, first of all, we tell you everything you need to know, right? That's important. But we have a good time. And when you get up in the morning... It can be a struggle sometimes. You need that little extra push, motivation to get you out of bed. And, you know, I try to bring good attitude, good energy to the set with me, and hopefully that carries across the TV and in the airways, and people feel that at home. Adam Hammond, only on Denver 7. Why should you watch Denver 7? Simple. Best team in town. Jason Luber knows traffic better than anyone. I'm just a cool reporter. Lisa, she knows what's up. Mitch, I call him Superman. Dale... Gorgeous. Awesome. I'm a cool reporter. Jason Granauer knows what's up. Uh, Amanda Del Castillo. I mean, we're just a great team and we're like family. And that I think that helps with the dynamics. So uh, you got to watch us every day. Eric Luford, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, heard all over the world, including all the ships at sea. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber, along with you, newscast producer Joseph Peters. Ahoy, mateys, on all the ships at sea. We're happy to be with you. Uh, Do you have any other sailing references you can give me? Best one I could come up with. Sorry, guys. Well, we've all done it at some point there, Joseph. Granted, not quite to this level, but at some moment in time, we've scrounged enough change to buy something when we didn't really have any paper cash or credit cards with us, something like that. Well, a man in China, he plunked down $11,000 in change to buy a car. He didn't use coins to pay off the entire car, but he did make a very substantial first payment with all those coins. He, He saved up the coins over several years to make the payment on the car. And to the dealership's credit, they handled counting all the change without much complaint, at least on the outside. They had all their salespeople on the sales floor counting all the change. Sales representatives actually went, spent not only hours counting all the coins by hand, but they also went to his house to get 10 boxes of money. <laughs> Excellent. That is a dealership that is wanting the sale. They are rolling in coins right now. 
You know, most banks, though, have one of those high-speed change counters that could have totaled up all the change and then issued the man a nice, easy, thin, light cashier's check to make that whole process a lot easier. I don't know why he didn't do that. So I was 16 years old, and a friend of mine and I drove by a car dealership, and they had all their prices listed in the window, and there was a car that was like 7000 and a car that was 9000 And then there was this like old blue, maybe like a Ford Taurus, that in the window it said 320 and in like sidewalk chalk it was written on there, Merry Christmas. Okay. So my friend and I look at each other and we're like, they're going to sell that nice car for $280? Well, we better act fast. So we went to his house and he took out all of his cash and all of the change from his coin jar. And I had some cash in my bank account and I had some coins at my house as well that we went to pick up. And we had $280 and we were ready to pay cash and change for this $280 car. And we got to the dealership and the guy was like, that's per month. And he just rolled his eyes and you could tell <laughs> that he was going to tell all of his coworkers about it as soon as we left and they were all just going to laugh at us and like, <laughs> and we deserved it but it said merry christmas yes like that's very well could have happened well look in your defense you were 16 you didn't really know a lot about financing at that point in your life it's <laughs> you, true you, it was yeah. a better time <laughs> oh that's a great story Terrible. that's a fantastic story so do you, you, you ever think about, I mean, you think about them, I mean, right now when they're on your feet. Right. But do you think about the shoes that you wear while you're sitting behind the wheel of your car? No, I actually like driving barefoot. I hate it because my foot kind of curls around because the, the gas pedal is always a little bit small. Mm-hmm. And I have these big, you know, goofy clown feet. <laughs> Welcome to the club, yep. So, <laughs> so, uh, so my, my foot kind of, it doesn't fit good on my foot. So I kind of like that, though, like wrapping my toes around the uh, gas pedal when you're on the road. I don't know. I feel like I always did it after the beach, too, so my feet would be all sandy. And you, and... Well, so yeah, I could see that at the beach. Some people, though, swear by having a special driving shoe, while others will just, like us, just pretty much drive whatever is on or off our feet. Right. But because the world is wonky, there are special driving shoes that you can actually wear to drive your sports cars. Uh, first... What are driving shoes? As the name suggests, they're shoes that are made specifically for driving. But what separates a driving shoe from a sneaker, sandal, or or a penny loafer is that traditional driving shoes are made of this thin layer of high-quality leather and a thin sole, which helps you keep your foot in place on the pedal while allowing you to be more connected to your car as you drive, probably giving you that barefoot feel as you like. Yes. Now, in appearance, they're similar to moccasins loafers, something like that. They're designed to be worn sockless during the summer months, so I'm sure they smell great. (laughs) Now, should you be looking for a pair of these driving shoes of your very own, there are some pros and cons for you that I have. Excellent. All right. We like pros and cons. Love pros and cons. Pro, better tactical sensation. The thin sole of a traditional driving shoe isn't designed to protect your feet from rocks or debris as you're walking. It's designed specifically to allow you to feel the car as you're driving. So thick soles on modern running shoes, or like my Skechers here, they take away some of that tactical sensation, making it hard to get the responsiveness you're really looking for. Yeah, I could see how that would really make you one with the car if there was less rubber separating you from the car. Con. Multiple pairs of shoes. You don't want to walk around in your driving shoes, especially if you opt for the traditional thin-soled leather ones, because you'll tear them up pretty fast. They don't 
last long if you're walking around in them, mm-hmm. though they can be extremely comfortable. Some more modern driving shoes offer a little thicker sole that's designed for all-day wear, wear rather than just driving or or just doing just driving your car. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this way, you don't have to worry about always having to change your shoes. I feel like the kind of people that have driving shoes aren't too worried about when they're wearing them if they're going to go do other things you know it's like kind of like i'm going to hop in my jaguar and i'm going to put my driving shoes on first and we're going to drive 200 miles in less than three hours i could see east coast people doing this more than west coast people yes all right here's another pro for you good for air travel while they might not be good for everyday walking if you're headed to the airport you might want to consider wearing your driving shoes because not only are they easy on your feet but they also slip on and off easily for security checks. They're also not too tight in case your feet start swelling due to altitude changes once the plane takes off. And I always advocate people who go on planes, don't wear your flip-flops. Don't wear your sandals. Wear shoes. Because in the event of an emergency, which doesn't happen that often, but if there is an emergency where you need to get out of that airplane, you're going to want something on your feet that stays on your feet. Nope. Totally disagree with this, man. I what? Was, I was literally just about to advocate for wearing flip-flops when you fly because you can just slip them off when you're going through security and you don't have to bend over to untie them. And the event of you actually being in an emergency in the air, as President Trump pointed out this week, very, very low. Yes, it is very, very low. However, it could happen. But think of the minute that you're saving not having to untie your shoes in security by wearing flip-flops. Yeah, I love flip-flops. Believe me, I, I, I love the flip and the flop. But I also flew in a helicopter for over 8,000 flying hours. That's and, a little different. And it's hard for me to get out of the mindset of not wearing at least some kind of shoe in an aircraft that then if there is a problem, you can run away like you're on fire. So you're not on fire. And the plane is on fire, but you're not on fire and you're running away. After hearing your reasoning, I respect it. But I respectfully disagree as well. Now, if I was going to Vegas, maybe I would probably still wear the flip-flops. I will actually be flying to Vegas tomorrow, and I will likely be wearing flip-flops when I do so. Uh, Here's a con. They're expensive. Traditional thin-soled leather driving shoes are not a cheap option. Even the less expensive models can cost more than $100. With the more expensive options, $500. That's an expensive pair of driving shoes. You definitely get what you pay for, they say, though. A high-quality pair of driving shoes will last you for quite a while as you're not wearing them to the grocery store. So driving shoes aren't really a requirement by any means if you have some kind of fancy, cool car. But if you really want to connect with your car, you have that option. I recommend also wearing your driving shirt and pants. Oh, like all the bikers do around Highlands Ranch? Yes. I I picture it very— It's like they're on a tour. Don't don't you picture like a driving uniform looking like Charlie Sheen and Two and a Half Men? (laughs) Sure, right. Why do these guys on the bike decide that they want to look like Lance Armstrong while they're tooling around the suburbs? (laughs) Have you figured that out? There's no excuse for a man wearing, well, I guess there is apparently an excuse for a man wearing spandex on a bicycle. I guess so. All right, so I want you to consider this hypothetical, Joseph. Relax your mind and... Imagine with me, if you will, that it's a bright, sunny day in your favorite city. Maybe it's a nice, warm spring day in your favorite city, and and you're alone in your brand-new, spanking, self-driving vehicle, and and you're speeding along a two-lane road that's lined with beautiful trees. You're sitting back, you're relaxing, you're looking out the window, admiring the view, moving along at about 45 miles an hour, the posted speed limit. 
Now, as your car approaches a rise in the road, a school bus suddenly appears, driving the other way. One that's driven by a human. It suddenly veers sharply towards your self-driving car. There's no time to stop safely, no time for you to take control of the car. So does the car, A, swerve sharply into the trees, possibly killing you, but possibly saving the bus and its occupants. B, perform a sharp, evasive maneuver around the bus and into the oncoming lane, possibly saving you, but sending the bus and its driver swerving into the trees, killing her and some of the children on board. Or C, hit the bus, possibly killing you as well as the driver and maybe even some of the kids on the bus. A, that got dark. <laughs> uh, I mean, is, there's no right answer to that question. Realistically, if it was happening in real life with a driver behind the wheel, every person, I think, would react differently. Yes. Some like might hit the brakes um, because if you're in the self-driving car, maybe you just can't hit the brakes. Maybe the car didn't realize that it could hit the brakes at that time. It didn't have a collision warning, but you being a human could detect that the collision was probably Im- imminent. Right. Um, some might have just swerved or do a combination of braking and swerving uh, of you know around some of the scenarios I laid out. Now, in everyday driving, such no-win choices are extremely rare, but when they do happen, what should a self-driving car programmed in advance to protect lives do? That is the question as we go forward with self-driving cars. What should it do in a situation, maybe even a less dire one, where a more moral snap judgment must be made. Well, I think that dire situation is one of the biggest moral ones, right? Like, theoretically, you're saving more lives by killing the driver, potentially. You know? I don't know. I mean, personally speaking, and I think a lot of consumers would agree with this, I want my car to protect me first. You, and, and I don't think that you can program it to know the difference between a bus and a tractor trailer. Yes. So... It's just tough, man. Because really, with the widespread use of autonomous cars in 10 to 15 years, this this theoretical question is going to have to be answered. Uh, There aren't many people who seem to be in a hurry to take on these questions, at least publicly. Now, I was looking into this, and uh, Van Lindbergh, he's an attorney in San Antonio, and he specializes in autonomous vehicle issues. He says there will be crashes, unusual things will happen, trees will fall, animals and kids will dart out in front of them. And even as self-driving cars have the potential to save thousands of lives, anyone who gets the short end of that stick is going to be pretty unhappy about it. Unhappy indeed, I would think. Now, whether the technology in self-driving cars is superhuman or not, there is evidence that people are worried about the choices that self-driving cars will be programmed to take. Now, last year, for instance, the Daimler executive set off a wave of criticism when he was quoted as saying its autonomous vehicles would prioritize the lives of its passengers over anyone outside the car. Your theory, exactly. You want your car to protect you first Mm -hmm. and everybody else second. The company later insisted he'd been misquoted since it would be illegal to make a decision in favor of one person and against another. Now, last month, Sebastian Thrun, who founded Google's self-driving car initiative, told Bloomberg that their cars will be designed to avoid accidents, but that, quote, if it happens where there is a situation where there's a car couldn't escape, It'll go, quote, for the smaller thing, but what the smaller thing is a child, a dog, how that question gets answered may be important in the development, and I think more importantly, the acceptance of self-driving cars. I'll tell you what, the first time that a self-driving car takes out a dog instead of a kid, there's going to be riots. Yeah. that The dog 
culture on Facebook is very protective of their animals. Now, a recent study found that people generally agree that a car should, in the case of an inevitable crash, kill the fewest number of people possible, regardless of whether they are a passenger inside or people outside the car. Those same people were also less likely to buy a car in which they and their family members would be sacrificed for the greater good. (laughs) Obviously. I mean, you would fall in line with that too, right? Yes, I would. So these individual fears could slow down the acceptance of self-driving cars and leave traditional cars and their human drivers on the road longer than some of these futurists predict, as we've talked about futurists in the past. Already, AAA says three-quarters of U.S. drivers are suspicious of self-driving vehicles. This is why I keep saying, and we said it on the show, that I think the whole self-driving car craze and that it's going to happen in two or three or four years is going to be more like 15, 20, or 25 years down the road. Yes. it's. I mean, it, to, to the point of this article, it's a war for public opinion more than anything else. I mean, we know the technology works. How many more studies do you and I need to look at before we're like, this technology works? The technology works. Like, it's just a matter of getting humans on board and trusting enough with the technology to commit to it, full, to commit to it even part-time. Because the real issue comes down to a series of questions. Does the computer always follow the law? Or does it slow down whenever it sees a child? Does it uh, get programmed to generate a random human response? Do you make it compute millions of computer simulations uh, simply telling the car to avoid killing anyone ever? And then program that into the car? Yes. Is it even an option to do that in the car? That's, that, I think, is the question. Is Can the technology make that computation in real time? Uh, what is the lowest risk for the lowest loss of life, including the driver of this vehicle? Right? I mean, I, can it compute that quickly enough when you're talking about a sudden swerve and a split-second crash? Yeah, can it compute that quickly? Because the question doesn't need to be as dramatic as asking who dies in a crash either. It could be as simple as deciding what to do about a, a jaywalker or where a car places itself in a lane next to a large vehicle that makes its passengers feel secure, or whether to run over a squirrel that darts in the road. I remember when I was going Mm. through driver's ed, and I had a driver's ed teacher who was freaked out every time you would drive next to a semi, because she thought, she was convinced, that you are going to see one of those tires start shredding right next to you, and it's going to block your windshield, and you're going to crash. That's reasonable. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I also don't like being in the passenger side when there's a semi next to me, and yeah. I probably would like that less if I was in the car with a driver's ed student. Now, some experts and analysts believe solving these problems could be a simple matter of regulators or legislators deciding in advance what actions a self-driving car should take in a no-win situation. But others doubt that any set of rules can adequately react to every scenario, of course. Yeah, it's just, that's life. You can't react to every, I mean... You, you, there's scenarios that are going to happen that we can't even predict or think about. Right. And, and you, you wind up forced into a reaction, but you can't prepare for the reaction. The director of the Center for Automotive Research at Stanford says he's been working with Ford on some of these issues. He says the question is ultimately not about deciding who dies. It's about how to keep no-win situations from happening in the first place. And when they do occur, setting up a system for deciding who is responsible. Well, there's a litigation part for you. Now, through millions of computer simulations and data from real self-driving cars being tested, the cars themselves can begin to learn the best way to respond to a given situation. For example, Waymo, that's Google's self-driving car company, 
In a recent government filing said, through trial and error in simulations, it's teaching its cars how to navigate a tricky left turn against a flashing arrow at a real intersection in Mesa, Arizona. Now, those simulations, not the programmers, are determining when it's best to inch into the intersection and when it's best to accelerate through it. Something that we do all the time, and it's actually a question that we talked about here on the show a while back. When you come up to a left, do you stay back at the crosswalk, or do you creep up into the intersection? Do you wait for the cross traffic to clear and then turn? You know, all those different scenarios that a car would have to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and then not every human responds to the same way. And so you want to get the cars into a uniform reaction at this, but it takes time to learn that. It reminds me a lot of that uh, movie that you probably, again, did not see. Correct. Uh, called War Games. It was with Matthew Broderick and uh, Kirstie Alley. Sounds great. Oh, it was. It was, well, for my generation, it was a big movie. Uh, and it, it was about this computer who was in charge of basically the entire nuclear missile codes for the entire United States. And the computer, at one point, because he wanted to hack into this computer, Matthew Broderick's character, and play this war game simulation, because the game was always, the computer was always doing these war game simulations, Mm -hmm. and it had to go through this whole progress of who was going to win in a nuclear war, and then eventually the computer decided nobody's going to win, it's good not to do the war at all, because it almost launched all the missiles. Okay, interesting. So it's that same kind of thing, where the machines have to learn that there's what the outcomes are going to be and if there is a good acceptable outcome at the end or not. So here's the real issue, though, to me. We humans have hundreds of thousands of years of moral and ethical and religious and social behaviors that are already pre-programmed in us. We already know that. We, we start learning as a little kid. We have a lot of these uh, uh, tendencies that are already programmed into us uh, when we're born, right? Okay. Computers, I don't think, can replicate that right now. They might in the future, but at least right now, I don't think they can replicate what it's like to be a human. Yes, but I think we're a lot closer than any than people realize at this moment in time. I mean, there's so many things that computers can do, and there's so many things that humans now can't do without their computers that... Uh, you know, the relationship's at least symbiotic now. But you still can't program a computer to care about a life, I don't think. Because it is really... No, but you can program it to pretend to, right? You can Maybe. program it to act like it does. But in my world, if I was going to come across a squirrel and my wife was going to come across a squirrel that darts in the road, I'm running the squirrel over. But then again, I'm not going to have any regrets about running over the squirrel. My wife would. And I always advise her, whenever she does across, even come across any kind of thing, except maybe a kid, uh, to run over it. Mm. Because it is better to do that than it is to swerve, because you're more likely to die in a crash where you're trying to swerve away from an animal than you are just to hit it. While we have a couple extra minutes here, what about a deer? Is it better to swerve out of the way of a deer, or is it better to hit the deer? hit it. Even though it's going to destroy your car and probably crush your windshield and probably cause some significant damage, you might get hurt. You're still alive. What about a moose? Moose? Well, mooses are, well, mooses or mises? Either one. <laughs> my, no, my, all of them. No, so my dad hit a moose. I mean, like, yeah. smash into a moose a couple years back. And to your point, it destroyed the windshield, but it probably saved his life as opposed to if he had swerved and nicked it but gone slamming into the guardrail. Usually when you swerve, you're more likely to roll over, go off into the ditch, go off the road, whatever the case may be. You're you're, you're better off with the seatbelt technology that you have and the way the car is designed to hit 
hit something head on. That's the way they test those cars. You've seen those yes. te- crash tests, and the dummies are all set in that car, in the seatbelt, and it's designed to protect you in those instances. So hit it. Just right. hit it. Great advice. <clears throat> and then go eat it later, right? <laughs> but anyway, I think that's going to be one of the major issues and barriers, I think, going forward to, to really look at with the uh, whole self-driving car deal. It's a matter of getting people to trust their cars, right? Trusting the technology. And that, that is going to take time, and there are definitely some people who never will. Uh, nope. But if you can get the majority, you're probably going to be successful. But again, that's why I think it's going to be longer. Yeah. Longer than normal. Anyway, next week we have all kinds of great stuff. I'm already working on next week's episode. Bam. Bam. That's going to be a huge barn burner. Excellent. Oh, it's going to be rock solid. I'm telling you that right now. Come back. Yes. Thanks, <laughs> thanks again for uh, being here on this edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm flip-flop enthusiast Joseph Peters. <laughs> be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.